When I talk about democratic socialism, I'm not looking at Venezuela. I'm not looking at Cuba. I'm looking at countries like Denmark and Sweden. From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. Is it really possible for someone who calls himself a socialist to be elected president of the United States? Well, so long as we know what democratic socialism is, and if we know that in countries in Scandinavia, like Denmark, Norway, Sweden, they are very democratic countries. Obviously, the voter turnout is a lot higher than it is in the United States. In those countries, health care is a right of all people. In those countries, college education, graduate school is free. Uh, in those countries, retirement benefits, child care are stronger than in the United States of America. And in those countries, by and large, government works for ordinary people in the middle class rather than, as is the case right now in our country, uh, for the billionaire I class. I can hear the Republican attack ad right now. He wants America to look more like Scandinavia. That's right. That's right. And what's wrong with that? You know, when I think of ideas of socialism, I, I go, okay, there's maybe Venezuela and there's Cuba, and then I go, but then there's also Norway and Denmark. Right. Do you think there's a, there's a branding disconnect uh, connected in America between some of these policy ideas, between generations, maybe? We have never really known or grown up in a time of true economic prosperity in right. the United States. We came of age in a time of hyper-concentration of wealth with the very tippy-top of people um, in, in the country and the world. Right. And so for us to have access, we also grew up seeing our peers in other countries, like in the UK and Canada with single-payer health care systems. We grew up with peers uh, being able to go to college without you know, graduating with a mortgage's worth of debt. Mm -hmm. And we, we know that economically there's a better way because it has already been done. When I talk about democratic socialism, I'm not looking at Venezuela. I'm not looking at Cuba. I'm looking at countries like Denmark and Sweden. I went back to Michigan for Thanksgiving break. I had several conversations with friends and family, both on the left and right of the political spectrum, who were fascinated with the topic of socialism. People on the left said we should try socialism because it works in countries like Sweden, Denmark, and Norway. And people on the right asked if I had a good response to that argument. To be totally honest, I didn't. So where is this coming from all of a sudden? In the past few years, Senator Bernie Sanders, Congresswoman-elect Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and a growing number of their supporters have been bold in their support of socialist ideas in the form of what they call democratic socialism. But while many on the left have been pushing ideas like universal health care, free college, and minimum wage hikes for decades, they've been shy about using the term socialism and are for the most part still friendly with capitalism. But I wonder if there's anywhere you feel that the Democrats could move farther left to a more populist message the way the alt-right has sort of captured this populist strain on the right wing. If you think we could make a, a more stark contrast to right wing economics. Well, I thank you for your question, uh, but I have to say we're capitalist. And that's just the way it is. You don't have to worry about whether it neatly fits into socialist theory or capitalist theory. You should just decide what works. I think what Senator Sanders is saying certainly makes sense in the terms of the inequality that we have. But we are not Denmark. I love Denmark. 
We're the United States of America, and it's our job to rein in the excesses of capitalism so that it doesn't run amok and doesn't cause the kind of inequities that we're seeing in our economic system. But we would be making a grave mistake to turn our backs on what built the greatest middle class in the history. For now, let's put aside the obvious division in the Democrat Party and focus on the common theme here, Scandinavia. Is it really the socialist paradise touted by the left? Also, is there a difference between socialism and democratic socialism? A recent Gallup poll shows that only 17% of Americans know what true socialism is. So let's dive in headfirst. Terry Miller is a former ambassador at the UN during the George W. Bush administration. He's currently a director and the Mark A. Colicatronis Fellow in Economic Freedom here at the Heritage Foundation. We sat down with him to discuss many of these questions and clear up some of the common misconceptions. Ambassador Miller, thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure. Okay, let's uh, start from the ground floor and uh, work our way up. What is socialism? Well, socialism is many things to many people. I I think historically it uh, refers to the idea of government ownership and control of the means of production in a society. It means that the government makes all the decisions related to uh, where people work, how resources are deployed in a society. Uh, Communism is an extreme form of that uh, that we saw. And uh, at the opposite end of the spectrum is the free market associated with the capitalist system. So from what you can tell, and given some of the more recent dialogue, how does socialism differ from this democratic socialism we're hearing about? Well, I I think people have to define their terms. Uh, Democratic socialism uh, basically is the name of some political parties in Western Europe. And so I suspect that what most people who talk about democratic socialism have in mind is the system of economic organization that's practiced in Western European countries. But uh, from my perspective, uh, what those countries have is a capitalist system, and I think that's what they would say as well, that they are committed to the free market. So um, there's a lot of ignorance in this debate, and it's incumbent on us to demand that people define their terms. And and let's just move now to the popular misconception, the misconception of the day and the topic of, of this podcast uh, and and the topic of many heated debates at uh, uh, holiday season dinners. Uh, many on the left here in the U.S. justify moving toward a socialist model because they claim it works in the Nordic countries like Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and Finland. So let's set the record straight. Are these nations a model for socialism? Absolutely not. Uh, and that's what they would say as well. Uh, Leaders of all of the Nordic countries have been vociferously uh, defending their capitalist systems. Uh, They do not regard what they have as socialism at all. In fact, most of those countries are ruled right now by right-leaning parties. And and I was going to say, they are kind of walking it back. They're kind of walking back these uh, social safety nets. And talk a little bit more about that. Um, When Bernie Sanders says... We need to practice socialism like our friends in the Nordic countries. Where, what is he referring to when he says that? I think he's mostly referring to the idea that the government should spend more money in the United States. 
Uh, you mentioned social safety net. Uh, the missing piece of information for most of our listeners would be that the United States already has a huge social safety net. <laughs> uh, we spend over a trillion dollars a year uh, for uh, means-tested welfare programs in the United States. That's more than any other country in the world. Um, we need to look at the basic characteristics of these Nordic societies. Uh, we look at them very carefully in our annual index of economic freedom that we produce here at the Heritage Foundation. And all of the Nordic countries do very well in our index. In fact, several of them score more highly than the United States in wow. terms of economic freedom. Uh, they're characterized by a very great respect for the rule of law. Uh, they have very low levels of corruption. They have great regulatory systems for their economy. They regulate with a very light touch, doing the minimum possible to ensure health and safety and preservation of the environment. Um, and they also are, are hugely open to trade and investment flows from around the world. There's a, almost a complete absence of protectionism in these countries. Uh, the one area where they don't do as well is in uh, tax and spending. Right. Uh, where they have higher levels of taxation and higher levels of spending than we do in the United States. Ambassador, talk a little bit about the unique cultural differences between the U.S. and some of the Nordic states. Why is a larger welfare state capable there and might not be capable here? Well, I think it starts with the characteristics of the population. In most of the Nordic countries, historically, they have very homogeneous societies. Uh, and what you have in a situation like that is that the people paying the taxes are probably the same uh, people that are receiving the benefits from the government spending. And by homogeneous, you mean... Uh, they all are, are similar and characteristic. Uh, there's not a whole lot of diversity in terms of ethnicity or race, uh, religion, anything like that, uh, although we do see that increasing in the Nordic countries these days. The United States, by contrast, is incredibly diverse as a society and uh, probably the most diverse society in the world. And that means um, in some cases that the people that pay the taxes are not the same as the people receiving the government benefits in the United States. And so you're having a large redistribution um, of income uh, and uh, that you're taking away income from some people, providing more benefits to others. And it's going to be a little harder to get the political consensus behind that kind of action where there are actually winners and losers in society uh, than it would be in the Nordic situation where um, it tends to be that everyone is winning from the government action. There's one other factor I want to mention here, and that's in the Nordic countries. There's a very high level of trust in the government uh, that uh, exists there, and that makes people I feel pretty good about giving resources to the government that those resources will be used efficiently and effectively. Unfortunately, in the United States, we don't have that high level of trust in our government. It hasn't earned our trust in recent years. And so people doubt here that when they give resources to the government, they'll be used effectively to address the problems that, that we all see. Well, taking a closer look at the index, can you provide us some examples of actual socialist nations? Uh, you know, I know a lot of times we, we hear the name Venezuela come up, 
Uh, is that a, a fair comparison to actual socialism? And what else uh, out there can you can you lend to this? Sure, Venezuela is one of the great tragedies of the of the twenty and twentieth and twenty first centuries. This is a uh, country that, in the middle of the last century, was one of the richest and most prosperous countries in the world. Now uh, you can't uh, get basic necessities in uh, in the supermarkets. The shelves are essentially bare. People are living uh, horrible lives in a state of terrible deprivation. And Venezuela has gradually uh, dropped in our index. Now it's the second least free economically country in the world. Wow. Um, there are other countries that have uh, similarly poor records. Until recent years, Argentina has been dropping tremendously. Uh, Brazil uh, has had uh, socialist-style uh, governments. Countries like Zimbabwe in Africa, uh, where, again, once one of the most prosperous countries in the world, and because of bad socialist-style policies, uh, we've seen conditions deteriorate there. Um, Any time socialism has been practiced in the world, it has failed ultimately. Um, we can talk about some of the reasons for that um, as we go forward. When uh, someone says those countries should not be used an example as an example of socialism because the wrong people were behind it or it wasn't implemented correctly, if only uh, Hugo Chavez would have been more focused on the people, if only uh, Zimbabwe would have not confiscated farms as quickly. What What's your response to that? Well, the fundamental flaw of this is the idea that there's some wise person or small group of wise people that can know enough to direct the economic activity of all the citizens, all the people in any society. Um, and that's just um, logically ridiculous when you think about it. Uh, the amount of knowledge that it takes to produce modern products is distributed throughout the economy. A lot of people know a lot about little pieces of production processes. One individual or one small group is simply not capable of planning effectively all of the actions it takes to make something as simple as a as a pencil, uh, much less an iPod or a, a modern phone of some sort. These products uh, require enormous amounts of intelligence that's distributed among hundreds or hundreds of thousands of individuals. Uh, and, and the socialists believe that they're smart enough uh, that they can better, no better what's required than the collective wisdom of all those other people. It seems from watching interviews from the likes of Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and even uh, Cornell West, uh, they all have a different definition of this new democratic socialism that's kind of sweeping the nation right now on the left. Oftentimes they even stutter when they're asked to describe it. Even they seem to have a hard time describing it. And this is troubling to me. I was thinking about this because when there's no consensus to a meaning, that means that people can be led astray because they don't know exactly what they're buying. Well, I, I think these politicians, uh, unfortunately, have in their minds that uh, socialism is whatever they think on a given policy issue on a given day. Uh, that they have in their minds that uh, that's socialism, that's what socialist policy ought to be. It's very 
personalized and very arrogant, frankly, uh, for them to uh, believe that their personal views should uh, prevail over those of the rest of us. Ambassador, are you concerned that this is catching on in America? Well, uh, we live in a very uh, volatile media environment right now, and anybody that speaks loudly and can find uh, a channel uh, to distribute their uh, views can have some influence in the society. I'm not particularly worried that the United States is going to somehow uh, sign up for socialism in the short run. I think there is a creeping tendency towards greater government regulation, and people have the unfortunate idea that the solution to um, any problems in the United States uh, can be found through government action. I think that goes against our whole history, which is a history of self-reliance on the part of individuals, and uh, People really want the freedom and the ability to work and to solve their problems for themselves, ultimately to take care of themselves, which is the characteristic of, of acting as an adult in society. Uh, socialism, by contrast, would turn us all into children, and the state would take the role of the parents and uh, would tell us what to do. It would give us whatever resources it deems fit. Uh, and um, our lives would be terribly constrained under a system like that. That's what we've seen in countries around the world that practice socialism. Lives become very constrained. Boy, if that were uh, Thanksgiving dinner, uh, the parent being the government and me and you being the children, uh, I think there'd be a little bit of discourse going on there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just regret the fact that... Uh, Anyone would spend their Thanksgiving having to talk about an issue like socialism. It's happening. <laughs> there's, there's not much to be thankful for there. <laughs> Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. And that's it for this week's episode of Heritage Explains. We hope that you share our podcast with your friends and family on social media. And don't forget to leave us a comment. We'll see you next week when Michelle talks about what's happening in Ukraine. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad. Hi, this is Rob Bluey, editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal. If you liked hearing about the issues that Washington's not discussing, check out Underreported, a brand new video series from The Daily Signal looking at other issues that the mainstream media forgot to mention. 